Last week, the Lord led me to teach on repentance um, in the church here. And this week, the Lord's leading me to teach on baptism. And I believe that this is what God wants. It's already been confirmed, even by the songs that we've sung tonight. So um, I ask you to listen, um, to, to have an, an open heart and just be able to receive what God wants to to give to us tonight. Brother Daniel is going to be putting the verses up on the, the board, so or on the overhead, so it's, uh, you don't have to follow it in your Bible. You're certainly welcome to if you wish. Um, but we're going to look at we're going to well we're going to look at baptism as it goes through the New Testament. Um, we're going to look at what it means and and what we need to do. The first we hear about baptism in the Bible is when John the Baptist started preaching just before Jesus' ministry started. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight or narrow. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. It was a pretty strange guy to to normal people, how they were living back then. But he had a different message, and that message was from God. That went out, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring, therefore, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. It wasn't enough that they came. It wasn't enough that they presented themselves to find out more about this baptism that was going on. They had to have a heart that was right as well. It wasn't enough that they just came. They had to, there had to be something going on inside. They had to be willing to listen to what God wanted to tell them. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. It didn't matter their heritage. It didn't matter whether their father, their mother, their ancestors had all followed God all the way down the line. There had to be something in their heart that said, I want to follow God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. There was, John the Baptist was saying, there's a time coming. There's a time coming that's going to be greater than anything that I'm preaching. And it's going to be something that is going to be greater than you could even imagine. His fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly or thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's going to take those who want to follow God, who really want to follow God by their heart and in their heart, but those that are just there, those that are just along for the ride, those that have no purpose, those that, that aren't interested in God, those are the ones 
that aren't going to be saved. And then verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. It seems strange that Jesus needed to be baptized. After all, he was God manifest in the flesh. He was a man that was unlike any other man on this earth, either before that time or after. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, of you, and comest thou to me? You're coming to me? I need to be baptized of you. You're the one that is the, the saviour of the world. I need, I need what you have, but you're coming to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, or you need to allow this to happen, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. There is a pattern that Jesus wanted to lay down. He wanted to say, if I need to be baptized, then everybody needs to be baptized. There's no one that is excused. Jesus was the only righteous man who ever walked on this earth, and he still needed to be baptized. So our own righteousness doesn't count for anything. But it's only when we follow the plan of God. Then he suffered him or allowed him to be baptized him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. There was a dipping, there was an immersion. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God sent a, a witness in heaven to say, This is what you need to do as well. This is what, this is the plan that I have for anyone who wants to follow me. You all need to be baptized. Everyone who was there knew that they needed to be baptized. Just about the whole land of Judea and the inhabitants of Jerusalem came out to John and were baptized at that time. It says in what we were just looking at before. All except for the scribes and the Pharisees, who were rightly called a generation of vipers and told to bring fruits, meat for repentance. But this baptism of repentance was for the Jews only and only for this period of time. God had a more complete experience prepared for his church later, but the Jews needed to be prepared for what Jesus was going to minister to them. And the only way they could be open to listen to the voice of God was through repentance. It's the only way that we are, are able to, to be open to listen to the voice of God and to what he wants to tell us is when we truly come to him with a heart that is surrendered, with a heart that says, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to follow you, God. So we can see that repentance opens up our hearts to be able to hear what God is trying to tell us. Did you know that Jesus' disciples also baptized people unto repentance around this time as well, and not just John the Baptist? In John chapter 3 and verse 22, it says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. So at that time, there was John baptizing, John the Baptist, and there was also Jesus' disciples baptizing at the same time. And then at the start of the next chapter, John chapter 4, verse 1, When therefore the Lord, or Jesus, knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Not only did Jesus baptize people um, as well as John the Baptist, but he actually baptized more people than John the Baptist. 
and when it all came down to it. And this just shows, or this shows just how important both repentance and baptism is to God. It wasn't enough for just John the Baptist to baptize people with his unique ministry. He looked strange. He looked weird. He, he, he ate weird things, locusts and wild honey. And he looked very different to anything that, that was around at that time. But not only did they need that ministry, but they also needed the ministry of Jesus as well. Jesus needed as many people to be baptized with the baptism of repentance as possible. Why? Why was it so important? Both Jesus' disciples and John the Baptist were baptizing at the same time, showing just how important this baptism was. Why was it so important? We pick up the narrative after John the Baptist has been thrown into prison and John sent his disciples um, to Jesus for confirmation that he was the Messiah. He was in prison. He was feeling a bit down. He was, he was wondering, you know, was it all worth it? Did I get it right? You know, um, is, is, is Jesus really the Messiah? And so Jesus showed them signs and wonders and, and he healed and, and he, he raised up the sick and, and he did many things as proof that he was who he said he was. And in verse 24, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind, something that didn't have substance? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Well, he didn't have that. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. That's not the type of man that John the Baptist was. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, yes. I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry eclipsed anything all of the prophets in the Old Testament. It was greater, it was more powerful than any message that God had given to the prophets in the Old Testament. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus was looking forward to a time when the church was going to be in place and there was going to be a salvation that no one had ever imagined before. And then this is the crux of the matter. This is what we're getting to in verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So anybody that had been baptized with this baptism of repentance was able to hear and believe Jesus' words. And anybody that hadn't been baptized with repentance couldn't understand, couldn't perceive, couldn't believe what was plainly before their faces. As I said just before, repentance opens up our hearts to be able to hear what God is trying to tell us. Right at the end of Jesus' ministry, after he rose from the dead, Jesus had some important things to say to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. The baptism of John was only preparation. There was a change coming in how people needed to approach God and find salvation. Luke 24, and starting from verse 44, and he, and this is Jesus, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
The whole Old Testament, all of those books in the Old Testament, they're all pointing towards, they're all looking towards when the Messiah would come. There's going to be someone who comes. There's going to be a savior. There's going to be someone who will take you, who will redeem you, who will deliver you from all of your sins. And everything was looking forward to the Messiah, to Jesus. And Jesus was saying, everything has now been fulfilled. And then it says, then opened he, Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behoved or um, it, it, it was allowed Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem in the name of Jesus Christ and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye or wait in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus was saying, there's something coming. There's something that's different. There's something that's going to give you a power that you have never even believed possible before this. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. There, this, these were the last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples. So these were the most important words that he would ever speak to them. He was preparing them. He was telling them that there was something coming. Then... Fifty days after the Passover, there was the day of Pentecost. And that's what Pentecost means. It, well, it just means 50. 50 days after the Passover. But God had something special on this particular day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were there in the temple. They were doing what God had asked them to do. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. It was like there was fire coming out from, from their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, a language that they had never spoken before. It was something that they could not have believed possible as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's not something that they could manufacture. It was not something that they could just speak gobbledygook and then just expect that that was the voice of God. No, it was under the power and the anointing of God. And then Peter stood up with the rest of the apostles, the rest of the 11 um, disciples, apostles, and they all were in agreement. Peter preached to them. He was preaching to these Jews who had crucified the Messiah. He was preaching to these Jews who, who rejected Jesus. And in uh, Acts 2 and 21 it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then falling down, he, he keeps preaching. He tells them that they, they, um, that he talks about Jesus. He talks about how he was the Messiah. And in verse uh, 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel, all of these Jews who have come here assembled at, at the day of Pentecost for the feast, let them know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, 
they were pricked in their heart. They realized that they had done wrong. They realized that, that they, they were in a really bad place. Not only had they rejected Jesus, but they rejected the Messiah. This was the one that the, the entire Old Testament had pointed forward to. They realized that they had, they had crucified the Holy One of God, the one that was meant to come and, and save His people from their sins. They, they were in a very dark and very bad place because they had rejected what God had promised. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. That's the first thing they needed to do. They had to, to be sorry. They had to turn around. They had to realize that what they had done was wrong and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. We are afar off in time. We are afar off in distance. We are afar off because, well, I'm not a Jew, and I guess most of us here are not Jews. We're afar off in that our nationality is different as well. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God calls many today. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or wicked generation. We live in a, in a, a generation that has much wickedness. There are many things. It's just spiraling downwards. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. But we can save ourselves. We can follow the word of God. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, we, we've looked at, <clears throat> excuse me, Acts 2.38. And it talks about repenting, them being baptized, them being filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's talk a little bit about repentance. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. He had talked to them about a very bad sin in the church in, in the book of First Corinthians um, and that they needed to repent of. They were proud of, of that this thing had been happening, but they needed to realize that it was wrong. But now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. We didn't cause any of you to backslide. We didn't cause any of you to leave the church. For godly sorrow worketh repentance, to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, people these days are sorry about many things. Usually they're sorry that they've been caught. It's like, oh yeah, I'm sorry I did that. Well, they weren't sorry before they actually got caught. And so that's not a godly sorrow. But a godly sorrow is when you realize deep down in your heart that yes, I actually did that. And yes, it was wrong. And yes, I need to make that right. For behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. You made it right. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a change. There was a change, a, a desire to make things right. A complete turning around from what they had been doing. 
You see, repentance consists of three parts. Number one, godly sorrow that we've committed sins. Number two, the confessing of those sins and that they are sins. And number three, the forsaking or the getting rid of, the never doing again of those sins. All three parts are necessary for true repentance. If you don't forsake your sins, then how have you truly repented or turned around from what you've been doing? If you don't confess your sins, if you don't admit that you've done wrong in a particular area, then how are you going to forsake that wrongdoing? How are you going to stop from doing it? You haven't even admitted that it's wrong. So there has to be a confession. And without godly sorrow, we can confess our sins and try to forsake them, but it won't be long before we're doing them again. After all, we're not sorry that we've done wrong. We've just admitted that it's wrong and then we try to change. But without being truly sorry, what's to stop us from doing it again? So we can see that all three parts are necessary for true repentance. The Apostle Peter, in Acts 2 and verse 38 that we've just read, along with the support of the other 11 disciples, said that anybody who was to be saved into the church needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the complete and total forgiveness for the washing away of their sins. Yes, it is possible to be completely forgiven for everything that you've done in your life. And that's only by the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Now when they heard this, we'll go reading Acts 2, 37 and 38 again. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is different to the wording given in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 where Jesus commands his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It says, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, or always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Did Peter get it wrong on the day of Pentecost? No. No, he didn't. Firstly, God was speaking to, directing and leading so many people in such powerful ways all the way through the book of Acts. So much so that if God was unhappy with Peter's and the other 11 disciples at the same time who stood up with him, of their interpretations of his words or his message, he would have made it obvious and fixed it up really quickly. But we read of accounts where people were baptized in the name of Jesus all through the book of Acts. And as late as Acts chapter 19, that's quite a distance from Acts chapter 2, which we will read in a moment. You see, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, it, it, it reads, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. He's talking about himself in heaven and earth. Then he says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 20 it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Talking about himself. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It doesn't make sense that Jesus is talking about himself and then something different 
and then himself again. Also notice that the passage talks about the name and not names. It's talking about the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's not talking about the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's talking about the name. The parallel passage in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 47, is what we've already read. And where it says, Then he opened their understanding, Jesus opened their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, in Jesus' name, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It was going to be in the name of Jesus. I am certain that there are no errors in God's word and that any apparent contradiction can be explained. We don't have time to go into a deep theological discussion tonight and I don't want people's eyes to glaze over. So let's just get right to the the end of the matter. The only way we can reconcile these scriptures is to bring them all together into perfect harmony is by realizing that the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ. Remember that it's the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, not names. God never intended the disciples to baptize people in those titles. And that's why the disciples only ever baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus had already opened their understanding as we read in Luke 24:45, and they understood the meaning behind what Jesus was saying. Acts chapter 19. This is one of the accounts where we read where they baptized in the name of Jesus. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Apollos was a preacher at that time, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples... These were followers of Jesus. These were followers of God. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What's this Holy Ghost you're talking about? And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily or truly baptized with the baptism of repentance saying unto the, unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Some people ask, is it really that important how we're baptized? Is, is it important about the name that we're baptized under? Is it important that we get baptized again if we're baptized incorrectly? This scripture shows that it is vitally important that we are baptized in the correct way. They were baptized in a way which had no power or effectiveness in the church age. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, everything changed. There was a new way that God ushered in. The baptism of John the Baptist was only effective for a short time until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This was now the time of the church, which was born on the day of Pentecost. And now repentance was a separate thing to baptism, while still being a vital part of salvation, both of them. As per Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, people now needed to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission 
complete total forgiveness, washing away of their sins, and be filled with the Holy Ghost with that same evidence of speaking with tongues that happened on the day of Pentecost. A language that they'd never learned before. Something that they couldn't fake or manufacture. Anyone who was now to be saved now needed to fully identify with Jesus' death on the cross, which is repentance, Jesus' burial in the tomb, which is water baptism by full immersion in water, and Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which is being filled with the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus living inside of us, giving us a new life and power over the way we used to live. Colossians, to support that from the Word of God, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Buried with Him in baptism. Baptism is our burial. Wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's something that happens. There's a difference that happens in our lives when we are baptized. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. He's going to give us the Holy Ghost if we're baptized in His name. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We don't have to sin anymore when we repent, when we're baptized in Jesus' name. There's a cleansing, there's a forgiveness, there's a new life for us. For he that is dead is freed from sin. When we repent, we die to our sins and we are freed from those sins. History records that the early church only ever baptized in Jesus' name and it was always done by full immersion, the body being fully submerged in the water. And there's a reason for that. The Greek word baptizo, or sorry, baptizo, I think it is how it's meant to be said, which is translated in our Bibles as baptism, has the following meanings. The one, number one, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, um, as, as submerging a vessel, a vessel sunk in the ocean. Number two, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe. And the third one is to overwhelm. Something that's overwhelmed, it's completely immersed in something. It's overwhelmed by, by whatever it is that is coming against them. All relate to making clean by submerging something totally in water. And because we are relating to Jesus' burial when we are baptized, we also need to be submerged in water. After all, Jesus wasn't half buried in the tomb. He wasn't sprinkled with dirt and left out in the open but he went fully down into the tomb. He went down, just like when we bury someone, we bury them six feet under, because that is the burial. That is putting them into the ground. Jesus was fully and properly buried down in that cave, in that tomb that he went into. We can do no less when we are baptized in identification with Jesus' burial. We need to go down. We need to go under the water to show and in, in, in obedience to God's word in, in a, a, which symbolizes our burial our spiritual burial we need to be submerged in the water as well in obedience to God's word 
So when Paul realized that these disciples who were trying to follow God to the best of their ability hadn't been baptized properly, the first thing they needed to do was to make that right and be baptized in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. God had, had used the disciples, the apostles, to, to uh, raise up a lame man and, and heal him. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. This is the, sh- the sure foundation. Jesus is the one, the Messiah, that had been prophesied of in the Old Testament. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. We can't be saved in any other name. We must be saved in Jesus' name. How do we do that? We get baptized in Jesus' name. Just as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and just as the disciples baptized through out the book of Acts. Here are some examples of baptism throughout the book of Acts. The city of Samaria, Acts chapter 8 verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, They hadn't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Cornelius the centurion. um, Peter, God called Peter and and said, you you need to to preach to this man. He, He needs to hear the words of God. Peter didn't think he could be saved. But then the Holy Ghost fell on them as he was preaching to them. And right in the middle of their message, um, and in verse 47, Acts 10, 47, it says, Can any man forbid water or baptism, that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, talked about his own conversion experience in Acts chapter 22, starting at verse 12. And he saw a light shine from heaven and, and a voice come from heaven saying, saying, um, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul had thought that he was following God. He was persecuting the Christians. And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Jehovah? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. You, you're persecuting. And so Saul's life turned around at that time. He realized that he was, he was uh, fighting against. He was persecuting those who were actually following God and it was him that had got it wrong and uh, God smote him with blindness at that time and God talked to uh, a, a disciple someone who followed God called Ananias and one Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there came unto me and stood and said unto me brother Saul receive thy sight in the same hour I looked up upon him and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen. 
and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, none other. There are other people recorded as being baptized in the book of Acts, but it just says they were baptized with no more detail. People like the Ethiopian eunuch, Lydia, seller of purple, the Philippian jailer, and in one passage it says many Corinthian, Corinthian people. However, in lines with Acts 2.38 on the birthday of the church, the examples above, the context of the surrounding scriptures where it's found, and the fact that the early church all baptized in the same way, it can be followed that they were also baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Another question that many people, and sometimes even denominational churches have, is this, is baptism really necessary? Do we really need to get baptized? Is it something that we really need to do to be saved? I'd like to answer that question from the Word of God. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He was calling the disciples to do something that, that, that they had never been asked to do before. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So there is, you know, there is necessary to believe and to be baptized to be saved. Also in First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves us. We need baptism to be saved. Yes, baptism really is necessary for our salvation. If I could get someone to the piano, please. The way that God orchestrates things, the way that He brings things about, I know that there are some people here tonight that are ready for baptism. You've repented of all of your sins through a godly sorrow, through a confession of your sins, and of also forsaking those sins, and you're determined never to go back to them. And now you're ready to be baptized. And there are others here that are almost ready to be baptized. Why almost ready? Because you need to have been through repentance before you can be baptized. After all, we're identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection when we get saved. Repentance is our death, a death to ourselves, a death to our flesh, a death to the way that we've wanted to live, and baptism is our burial with Jesus Christ. Trying to get baptized before you've repented is like burying yourself alive. You haven't died to yourself yet through repentance, so how can you be buried in baptism? It just doesn't work. Your flesh isn't ready to submit to that spiritual burial as it hasn't died yet. Baptism is meaningless without repentance. And the Lord wants to give anybody and everybody here the opportunity to repent of their sins. What's repentance again? It's godly sorrow. It's being truly sorry that you've done what you've done. Realizing that you have sinned against God. Realizing that you have, have done things against God against mankind and knowing that it's wrong 
confession of your sins, saying, yes, God, I did that. It was wrong. I know that it was wrong, and I'm sorry for what I've done. And then completely forsaking, turning away from those sins. That's something, Lord, I never want to do those things again. Lord, I never want to be the man that I used to be. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. And once you've done that with all of your heart, you're ready to be baptized. There's no other hoops to jump through. You don't have to to, to go out and, and preach the gospel for 10 years before you can be baptized. You don't have to, to, to speak a mantra or something or, or learn Bible school for 10 years. Once you've repented, then you're ready for baptism. After all, when somebody dies, they need to be buried pretty soon afterwards. <laughs> and they start to stink. <laughs> it's the same with repentance and baptism. If you've been baptized before, but you now realize that you haven't been baptized correctly that first time, then yes, it is important to be baptized correctly. It is important that you're baptized in the correct way. Just like when Paul was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and met those Jews who had only been baptized in John the Baptist's baptism. It wasn't good enough to be baptized in John's baptism. That was a baptism for repentance. They needed to be baptized again in Jesus' name. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, I challenge you to be baptized just like it says in God's Word. In faith, we filled up the baptistry tonight because I know that God is dealing with the hearts of people tonight. Tonight is your night. Just tell one of the people here that you want to be baptized and we'll get you ready and we'll baptize you tonight. Why wait? Why wait to follow God's Word? 